there's something that you hear musically that you haven't heard before, you'll create that for yourself to enjoy and other people will enjoy it. And welcome back to Off Record with your host, Corey Levy. Today we speak to singer-songwriter and record producer Mike Posner, who is best known for having multiple Billboard Top 100 hits while also writing chart-topping songs for other artists such as Justin Bieber, Maroon 5, Pharrell Williams and more. In this week's episode, Mike tells us details on how he got started and what he did early on to become a success, what new artists should focus on when creating a project, how music distribution has changed and how up-and-coming artists should decide where to release their music. There's that and many more. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Off Record. Thank you, Mike, for joining on this show today. I really appreciate you taking the time. Thanks for having me on, Corey. Yeah. So I want to get started by asking, what was college and high school like for you? What made you distinct? Wow, they were two very different experiences for me. High school, I had a pretty tough time. I grew up in a city called Southfield, Michigan, which borders Detroit. Demographically, it's pretty similar to Detroit uh, as far as ethnicities and racial backgrounds go. But the reason I had a tough time was I just got really, really bummed out every winter. The weather would get really gray, and I felt, like, really depressed. I felt like I didn't matter. I, like, nothing really mattered. My teachers didn't matter. The whole thing, like, just seemed kind of pointless to me. And just kind of went on for four years. I mean, it wasn't all dark. It was, there were moments of jubilation and joy, for sure. But I then attended college at Duke University in North Carolina. And it was a little bit warmer there. And consequently, my mood seemed to be a bit warmer. And it seemed like I was able to step out of that fog I was in high school. And, and thankfully, I don't feel like I've ever really gone to that dark of a place again since in my life. But what made me stand out? In high school, I would say I felt like an army of one, kind of. I guess maybe my whole life. I've never felt like I was similar to anybody else. I always felt like I was different in some ways. And, you know, I'd express that in my music. I started making music and writing my own music when I was eight. So I think that always made me stand out. And sometimes I feel like misunderstood or I wasn't able to communicate how I felt to my peers or my teachers or my parents. But I was able to kind of get it right always. And so most obviously in high school, I rapped, you know, I would do battles. I was a white guy rapping. So I stood out in that fashion. People knew me as a rapper. Did you do anything in high school to piss off your parents? I did a lot of things that did piss off my parents. Most notably, I just was really, and I'm not proud of it at all. I was not grateful at all. I was pretty disrespectful to my parents. And well, I did, you know, I broke my like fair share of laws and rules. I was pretty good at not getting caught, pretty smart, you know, and I always did really well in school. I only got one B plus and the rest were all A's and A minuses. And ironically enough, the B plus was in band. <laughs> so the paper, like I was a pretty good kid, but I was just kind of not so fun to be around. Pretty, as I described earlier, sad a lot of the time. And mopey and, you know, I was nasty. I would say nasty things to them and I really regret it. 
you know, because my parents were just incredible. They're just like the best. And I don't know, something happened when I was 24. I think my phone rang and it said mom on the screen and something just clicked in me. And I realized I was so lucky to have a mother calling my phone that cared about me. And I don't know what it was before that. It always seemed like, oh, mom's calling. I have to like talk to her now, you know, like that angsty teenage attitude. And yeah, something just clicked when I got a little older and I, I wish that had clicked much earlier because I'm, I'm pretty embarrassed of the way I treated my parents, the ones who literally loved me for my entire, like every day of my entire life, they loved me. And what's your relationship now with your mother? Uh, it's totally transformed and like better than ever. My mom is one of my favorite people, if not my favorite person in the world. She's just like somehow so strong and disciplined and full of fire, but simultaneously gentle and loving and caring. And yeah, I wouldn't trade her for any other mother in the whole world. That's awesome. And if there's one thing you could pinpoint that has contributed to your success more than anything, what do you think that would be and why? I'm a firm believer in the law of attraction. Which means basically you get what you think about, you get what you believe is going to happen. So what that looked like for me was when I was 18, I met this kid, Sean the Don, who was a rapper in Detroit, well-dressed, like very charming. And I started doing beats for him and we became friends. I was like a part of his crew. And then he later changed his name to Big Sean and he got signed by Kanye and Universal Island Def Jam. And so suddenly like this sort of like dream of you know making a living being an artist was very close like my buddy was doing it and because I was so close to him like we rapped together all the time I always like secretly felt I was better than him because I felt I was better than everyone I started to believe that I could do the same thing and when I started to believe I could do the same thing I started taking actions that were lined up with my impending success I started to make a band and like you know call people that I wouldn't normally call and present myself in a way that was like yeah I'm next up obviously <laughs> and you know so the question like for the listeners is like do you need your friend do you need a big Sean to like show you or can you just convince yourself right now that whatever you want is coming and you're going to get there and live your life accordingly and so I think that's the number one thing was just convincing myself I was going to be a professional recording artist I remember telling my mother a year before I did, I was like, listen, I'm going to be an artist to like get a record deal and like do that. She was just like really skeptical as she should have been because I was just like a kid in her basement <laughs> playing around with the keyboard. I had like really convinced myself that was going to happen. And, you know, I was able to convince others. I was able to, you know, then in my own mind, justify the hours I was spending making music and my music got better as I made it more and it happened and so like literally you have this scenario where something from your mind like a dream then comes true and, and then you're living it and that's what the law of attraction is and I would say yeah that's the number one thing and aside from you know, getting the band together and making more music was there anything else that you did after you convinced yourself that you were going to make a career in music music is like any other skill and that the more you do it the better you get and when you first start it, chances are you're going to stink at it like anything else. And so there's that component, which is like, you just keep doing it. No one really liked my music until I was 20. And as I mentioned earlier, I started when I was eight. So that's 12 years, you know, of making like mediocre stuff until I kind of stumbled upon my own voice. 
And still, after I make an album and I'm like a couple years older, like right now, I have to rediscover what that voice is now. So I would think that's a big part of it is just sticking with it a lot. I see a lot of young artists that will make music for a year or two and they maybe make a mixtape or an EP and they put it out and it's okay. And then they're kind of sitting around wondering where's my Ferrari and my record deal and they quit. But, like, nothing works that way. Like, doctors don't become doctors on the first day of medical school or even after the first year of medical school. Music is no no different in my eyes. And there, there are exceptions, you know, where people somehow find success very quickly. But there are exceptions. You know, there's a reason there are exceptions. Most of the people that we look up to, you know, like, worked really hard. And, but work is maybe not the right word because it's fun. And when you've convinced yourself, like, you know, it's all going to work out, then like there's a reason for you to do it so there's that and then another part i'd like to add you just take every opportunity so the example i always like to give is after my freshman year at duke university had planned this road trip with a couple friends we'd been planning it for six months or so we were going to drive from michigan to colorado we had this whole thing and i got a call about a week before the trip from a friend of a friend at duke and then this friend said he could get me a meeting with Scooter Braun. And Scooter Braun was a manager at the time, and he managed Asher Roth, who was this white rapper who later became a friend. And I told my buddies, I said, hey, I can't go on this road trip. And they were very understanding because they supported me. And so instead of driving to Colorado, I drove to Atlanta and met with Scooter. And you know what happened at the meeting, Corey? Well, what happened? Nothing, really. <laughs> yeah. We talked, and it was cool. And I went to Duke for sophomore year and that was like really it after we that kept in touch were you like shit i should have gone and then or, or yeah gone. yeah it kind of was it's like well you know maybe i should have gone whatever but i kept in touch with scooter over the years fast forward five years i've since graduated duke i'm living in la and i go to a clippers game and the game is over i'm leaving staples center and i hear posner and i look behind me at scooter braun now at this by now scooter has signed Justin Bieber, who's exploding, he's like the biggest star in the world. And I said to him, I said, you know, Scooter, I'd like to start writing songs for other artists. At the time, I'd only wrote, written songs for myself, really. And I said, you should let me write for Justin. I think I could knock it out of the park. He said, okay, come over to my house, like, Saturday, and show me some songs. So I went over there Saturday, and I played him a song from my laptop called Boyfriend that I'd recently written with my, my homie Black Bear and NDL. And he looked at me and said, this is the next Justin Bieber single. And so you just never know. You just take every opportunity. And there's a thousand of those stories that didn't turn into anything. Like there was no second part with a hit single at the end. But you just take every opportunity. And if they work out, they work out. And if they don't, they don't. In addition to Big Sean, who are some of the people that you know you you know looked up to or you know good friends with either today or back in the day? And what have you, what have you learned from them? What what was the biggest thing you've learned from Big Sean, from Scooter, from your mentors either now or, or back in the day? Two main lessons I learned from Sean. The first I touched on already, which was 
Law of Attraction. If you meet Big Sean, and I'm sure he has his ups and downs like everyone, but most of the time, he tends to be kind of glowing, so much so that it rubs off on you, you just feel happy. I'm sure everyone listening, including you, have met people that you just feel good when you're around them, and like, it can at times be so powerful that even after you're not with them anymore, you still just like, kind of feel good, because they have a good energy about them. He's one of those guys, and I asked him about it one day, and I said, what, like, what's going on with you? <laughs> you know, like, wh- what are you doing over here? And he recommended two books to me. The first was The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho, I think is how you say his name, I'm not sure. And he said, read that, and he said, read this book, Ask and It Is Given, by Esther and Jerry Hicks, which is all about the law of attraction. Those two books changed my life i read many other books after those uh, like kind of tangentially but those two just totally like transformed how i looked at the world and my life and another thing i learned from sean was just to be nice to people i really had the privilege of being able to watch him for two or three years after maybe even four years, where he had signed his record deal, he had his Jesus piece from Kanye. He wasn't known on a national level, really, or international, certainly an international level like he is now. But, you know, like, he had the chain, like, he was the guy in Detroit. I just got to watch how he treated people always with so much respect and almost, you know, like, there's just so much kindness and compassion that, you know, four years later when I, I got my shot, my turn, that had sort of been in, ingrained in me and I, I tried to copy that. What do you wish you had started doing or done more of early in your life, specifically actions or activities with compounding effects? That's a great question. First thing that comes to mind is meditating. Maybe about five years ago, I started meditating twice per day for 20 minutes each session and it's just a tool i wish i had my whole life to kind of step back do nothing and be able to see my life from a different perspective it's 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 one of those counterintuitive things you know we tend to spend most of our time trying to perfect the circumstances around us so whether that means like you know transforming our house to a bigger house or our car to a more expensive car our you know, lover to a different lover. And we do all these things because we think when the circumstances change, we'll feel better. And the sort of ironic thing is, if you meditate and you do nothing, you realize that circumstances around you already are perfect and you feel better. And you take action based off of inspiration as opposed to motivation. Motivation comes from outside. I should do this because of this reason, and inspiration comes from within. I'm going to do this because I'm called to. It's five years ago when you started meditating? Correct. Do you strive for anything today, or, or do you inspire? Like, Sure, I mean, like, so there's, there's definitely things I work on still, and I have desires, of course, but the desires are coupled with the knowledge that they're not really going to change my life. Like, what desire of mine, like, for example, I'd love to win album of the year grammy all right so that's like it's something that'd be cool but i know it's not going to change the quality of my life or you know how life occurs for me you know i wake up every morning and i do stuff and then i go to bed and 10 years ago i woke up and i did different stuff and then i went to bed 
So the stuff may change, but how I experience the stuff, that's really what I'm interested in. Like, what's my relationship to the present moment? How can I be more present and mindful and enjoy life right now in a deeper way? But that's always more interesting to me than gaining a new toy or, you know, a trinket. I want to talk a little bit about when you were in college and you signed that record deal at the time, you know, were you living in the present or was this like the you know, thing you were striving for? You know, I need to get the record deal, then I'll become successful. What was that like? It was the summer after your junior year you got that deal? Correct. You know, I really thought that when I got that record deal, my experience of life would change, that I would be happier and I'd sort of be like in the quote, promised land, unquote, that just my experience of life would be exponentially better and like, I wouldn't have really problems anymore. And what I found was that when I signed my record deal, of course, there was like a jolt and a thrill for a few hours and, you know, kind of like a residual jolt for a few weeks. And then I realized, you know, like I just said, I was doing different things, but my experience of life was largely the same. You know, I was about the same happy. I was about the same sad, you know, it was like. It didn't make my life worse or make me more sad or more happy. It just was overwhelmingly the same. <laughs> and that was disappointing because and disillusioning because I really thought before it was going to like solve all my problems. And it just, it just didn't. You know, I just felt like, you know, the same guy doing different stuff. I thought, well, maybe I just need to be like more popular. Like maybe I just need like a big hit song or something, you know. And I said about acquiring that and I did. And what I found was I still felt the same, you know, and like, I won't, I'm not trying to say my life was, you know, bad, you know, I wasn't like moping around, but I was moping around some of the time and, you know, happy some of the time and I was doing different stuff, but yeah, my experience of life was the same. And so then that was, you know, when I got the privilege of asking the question, if that's not what life is about, then what is it about? You know, and, you know, I have different theories about what the answer is to that question. What are some of those theories? Well, like, you know, I've heard the Dalai Lama say before the, the purpose of life is to be happy. And, you know, I've heard other philosophers like Alan Watts say, like, you know, that there really is no purpose to life. And not in a depressing way, like, it doesn't really matter. So you can do what you want and enjoy it and, and then it's over. Or... Friedrich Nietzsche would say, when your life ends, you get another one of these lives. So you should try to enjoy it so much that if someone told you, hey, when you die, you're going to get the exact same thing, that you'd be excited about that. You know, and then, of course, there's the you know Christian model of, you know, there's a heaven or hell and Hindu model of reincarnation. And you know, so I'd sort of, sort of like play around with all these things and look into them. And <laughs> it kind of depends on the month which one I'm buying into but at the end of the day I don't think we really know and the beauty of it is we get to decide and at the end of the day it's very mysterious Corey you know we show up in these bodies and we don't remember you know we don't remember being born we're just kind of like here and then one day it's over and um no one really knows what's going on and so that's why I started a podcast this year it's called what does this all mean and then ex explores these questions listen to every episode except for the meditation ones oh thanks man 
I, I gotta I still have to listen to the meditation one. <laughs> the podcast is great. Favorite episode so far is the Kanye one. Thank you. That was pretty cool. Thank you. So today, like, what are some of the things that make you happy? Do you have a list of things or any routines that I, I know meditations in there? Is there anything that you do morning, afternoon, or evening that's the same throughout? Yeah, great question. I wake up around seven every day. Can change when I'm traveling, but even if I don't set alarm, I'm pretty much up at seven, me a little bit before maybe. And first thing I do is drink a ton of water. I like to keep some water by the bed. Then I go to the bathroom, brush my teeth. And then I sit down to meditate, like I said, 20 minutes. And I take a few minutes to cool down, to come back. I don't just like jump up, take like two minutes. Have you have you checked your phone at this point or no? No, well, sometimes I break my own rule. So like, just I'll just add that disclaimer. But really what I like to do is when I go to sleep, I put my phone in airplane mode. And then when I wake up, stays on airplane mode while I drink the water, while I go to the bathroom, while I brush the teeth. And I, I use it as a timer. But it's still on airplane mode for the meditation. And then after that, I exercise. I don't drink caffeine. I will like every once in a while. I get really high. <laughs> I have sort of an addictive personality. So like we'll have a coffee maybe twice a month or something like that. So in lieu of caffeine, I go exercise. And about two days a week, I go boxing at a boxing gym and two other days in the week I work with a personal trainer and then the other days I'll do my own thing or and I take like one or two days off and then after that I feel like pretty excited and happy and high and then I will take the phone off airplane mode at that point and the theory is like then you're on often um I'm doing the things and sometimes later like if I get inspired on a song I'll keep it off and the idea is, you know, I'm doing the things that I want to do. And then when I'm done doing those, I'll start looking at what other people want me to do. Or fires I have to put out, you know, with on the business front. Got it. So it's to be on offense, not defense. You know, because if, if the first thing I do is check my phone, my text, you know, people have these requests for me. There's things I need to take care of that are that are totally fair and I need to take care of. But I want to get done some like creative things, some things I take care of my body first, and then into those later. Aside from you know, meditation and working out, if there are times when you feel lethargic, do you have any tactics to that you incorporate that where you get inspired again? Yeah, I think a lot about this, and I've planned, I've tested like a lot of different things as far as you know, like when I go to sleep, how much I sleep, when I meditate, what I eat, when I eat, and after trying like a million different combinations of these variables I found that pretty much no matter what I would have a little dip in the afternoon you know sometimes it would come as soon as noon sometimes more like three or four where I just like really <laughs> kind of want to go to sleep <laughs> and I used to battle that figure I was trying to figure out how to beat it now if that comes on I usually hit it with my second meditation of the day if I can and another trick that like really, that seems to work, I would say even more than meditating, though I would I would never not meditate. The other trick is cold water. I like I live pretty close to the ocean now, so I'll ride my bike to the ocean, jump in if I can. If there's less time, I'll just take like a cold shower, and that's a good one. And then the other one's exercise, but it's tough if you already exercise that day or you know you're like doing stuff that's 
you know, not always like the easiest thing, but like I would say the the most effective mood changer for me is cold water. You know, like the cold shower or jumping in the ocean is works. What's the length that you're in the cold shower or the ocean? Just like a sixty seconds or no, a little. I mean, I'll, like, I've been doing it for a few years, so it's not like as shocking to me as it may be for some people upon first trial um so i just try to do it and i can kind of feel my my like body temperature go down to the point where i'm start to get used to the water and it stops being shocking to me that's sort of that's like enough so you know it's like five minutes tops probably how do you make hard decisions do you have any tactics when it comes to making really really hard decisions good question you weigh the pros and cons and the reasons for and reasons against reasons against that you know it's obvious like you think about it and then really it comes down to an intuitive thing for me. And most of my hard decisions, mind you, are decisions between two good options. That's usually what makes it hard for me. It's like work in the studio with, with someone I really want to work with, or can I go back to Detroit and see my mom? Like they're both, they're both awesome things I'm going to get to do. And so you kind of just pick one. You know, I have a commitment to keep my word. I have a commitment to myself and like my health i have a commitment to my music i mean i you know i always just try to honor though and stick to them so yeah i think i think uh and then like you just make the decision and go and if it's you know something you need to adjust later fine you adjust it later but making no decision is like like, that's a decision in and of itself and that's probably like the worst one you can make so i kind of just like to go with stuff and then you know, see how it turns out. And then I can learn from it later if I need to. What are your biggest challenges right now? Right now, I'm working on a new album. And I've written a whole bunch of songs for it. Or maybe north of 50 songs. I'm figuring out how the album's going to sound, like, sonically. And then which songs to actually finish. And when I say finish, I mean they're written. But I need to finish the recordings, like, producing them. And production, you know, can take, for me, you know... A, a week for one song, sometimes as much as like a month for one song. So I don't have time to fully produce 50 songs. I sort of have to pick maybe 15 or 20, and then I'll pick the best 10 of those once they're done. So I think that's like, that's maybe a challenge right now, but it's it's more of just like a journey, you know, I'm just gonna have to like stumble upon it. And you know, it's, I've made albums before, so I know like, you know, I just have to get in the studio with people and until something magical happens and then I'll, I'll go down that rabbit hole. And what sort of first order principle should any new music project follow for someone just starting out? I would say first order principle is... And it's really applicable to any art form and I think, you know, business as well. The first order principle would be your job is to create the music that you want to hear, that you want to exist in the world. And if that music already exists, you probably shouldn't be making a project because it already exists. You know, like if your goal is to just make something that sounds like Kanye or something that sounds like Frank Ocean, just listen to Frank Ocean or Kanye. But if there's something that you hear musically that you haven't heard before, you'll create that for yourself to enjoy and other people will enjoy it. And the same goes if you're a painter, like if you see something, create that for yourself just the way you want to see it. Your job is very simple. You're just making it the way you see it. And the same goes for 
young entrepreneurs. Like if you see a business that doesn't exist, make that. And if there's like crummy parts of other businesses that you don't like and an opportunity comes for you to emulate that, don't do it. You know, you know, like an example for me is I don't like advertisements and podcasts. You know, they bug me. I always have to fast forward through them. So when I make a podcast, I don't put advertisements in. It doesn't mean advertisements are bad. It's just, you know, I'm making it how I want to make it. So I would say that's the first order. What are some ineffective things you see artists do where you know, if you could go back to your younger self or to, to other people's younger selves, what would be the things you would say to those people? Like, hey, don't waste your time doing this because that, that won't work. I would say, yeah, don't waste your time trying to be popular. Spend your time trying to be good or better. And as you get better, you'll inherently become popular because, you know, people like good people <laughs> or people who are good at stuff. So just spend your time getting good and getting better. Another thing I see young artists do that I certainly did first record was really overwork themselves. You struggle for all these years trying to get people to recognize your music. And when they finally do, there's a tendency to accept every opportunity, you know, whether it be in Adelaide, Australia or Zurich, Switzerland on back to back days. It's hard to say no to stuff, and a lot of times young artists are being offered more money than they've ever seen or their parents have ever seen, and so it's it's tough to like turn down an opportunity based on you might be totally overworked, uh, not have time to do it. So I, I always recommend to young artists to you know respect their body, communicate to their teams with with love how much rest they. Need. I certainly believe it's better to do one thing very well than it is to do twenty things with mediocrity totally and do you have any stories about controversy either firsthand or secondhand where controversies kind of played a role in success or getting attention the beginning of this year i thought it would be funny to sort of play a joke on the public make them think i had gone crazy when i hadn't and i lost a bunch of weight on purpose and I dyed my hair green and I started like went to the red carpet of the Grammys like dressed like looking kind of androgynous like I wore makeup and um, not that there's anything crazy about wearing makeup but um I look sort of peculiar <laughs> I was wearing like a skirt with like pantyhose and did a lot of like goofy things on the red carpet which I thought were hilarious and it sort of worked out exactly how I wanted which was people thought I was going crazy and I had told my friends and like family that I was gonna get a little weird in 2017 and for them not to worry uh but a lot of people who I hadn't warned that were sort of like or people I like forgot to warn who were actually good friends like were worried about me and after a certain point I realized that like there was really no point to it and that I have so many years in the world. I don't know how many it's going to be, but I should use that time communicating authentically what I want to communicate and what I want to create in the world. And, you know, it ceased to be, you know, like playing, playing jokes and tricking people. I wanted to help people have more joy in their lives. And if I stumbled upon anything that helped me in my life, whether it be meditating or exercising or whatever, then I would like to just share those things. And I couldn't share them if I was like playing a joke on everyone else going crazy. So I just <laughs> sort of stopped. I just sort of stopped and I know the controversy seems to be over. It wasn't that large of, I mean, I guess, in the grand scheme of things. What, what about that? The, you know, I took a pill and, and I beat you. So is, is, is that at all controversial given authenticity of it, I guess? 
Yeah, I mean, I had like a message once at the travel bureau of Ibiza, like was upset with the title. <laughs> it was making their island seem like a party island and, you know, breezing over the more deeper cultural aspects to Ibiza, which, you know, I admittedly don't know much about. <laughs> it was just a story of, or a line about, you know, something that went on in my life when I was there. But, um, I thought that, you know, like the, t- the that song really could have been titled Sad Songs. You know, the chorus is all I know are sad songs. But I just, I thought that if I named it the first line of the song, which was I took a pill in the bees, is, is interesting. And I felt like if I saw that on iTunes or Spotify, I'd want to click that and listen to it and see what it was all about. And so that's why I named it that. And so that was like sort of intentional. Like I wanted it to catch people's attention. And I think I got, you know, what I asked for. Is there anything that you do? Do you have like a formula of, you know, when you release a certain project of, of grabbing attention? How to do that effectively? The honest answer, the most effective way is to make something really great. And then it happens for you. You know, you put it out and people talk about it for you. They tell everyone else about it because it's cool. And they want to be the one to, to tell us about it. So that's that's honestly the best way. Like that's, you know, that's what you do in the studio. <laughs> it's like just make something really good. And then, you know, there can be kind of moments where, you know, like a certain collaboration is like can be interesting or like, whoa, that Mike Posner was so-and-so. Like I, I want to hear that. But again, like it still has to be good. So even if they listen to it and they hear it, and it's an interesting collaboration, it's not good, then, you know, it sort of just stops there. But if it's interesting and it's really good, then it kind of builds its own momentum. Got it. And what are your thoughts on, you've been making music since you were eight, it's been over two decades, so you've seen Napster, LimeWire, Spotify, iTunes. Like, how does that affect your career, people in music's career? Like, if someone was just starting out right now, is this this something they should be worrying about? Should they be trying to build, like, a social media brand? be an internet celebrity or you know follow the music i think you know if you want to be an internet celebrity you should be an internet celebrity you know if you want to be a musician you should be a musician it's one of those peculiar things like being an artist where once you proclaim yourself one you are one so like i recently was hiring an assistant and i interviewed some people and like several of the people i wanted to interview they wanted to be artists and their reasons for me they wanted to come like learn from me and see how it's done da, da, da. and being an assistant for me is not going to help you be an artist at all <laughs> like and i told them that you know it's like you know be an artist you just you just start doing it you know i started doing it when i was young you know when i was eight i was like yo i'm a rapper and you know i made an album in high school you know granted they weren't good but you know you just you just start doing as far as the difference in the way music is listened to I think younger artists probably have a better idea of how to answer that question than I do. You know, like a young artist. And and in a lot of ways, they have a lot of advantages because they know how they listen to music and how their friends listen to music. And like, they should put it on those platforms. If all your friends are listening to music on YouTube or on SoundCloud, like, Make sure your music's there. If they're listening to Spotify also, make sure your music's there as well. If I had achieved the same level of success in the 90s, I probably would have made a lot more money because people had bought like physical albums then and, you know, there was no streaming and, you know, so that's like a difference, but like I still do all right and I'm certainly not complaining and I have more than I need. So 
Oh, I think that's sort of how to answer that question. Got it. My last question is, what has been your favorite part about being an artist? I take it for granted a lot, but I just get to create things. That's my job, you know? And so like, sometimes I do things that aren't music, even like this year I released uh, my first book of poetry called Teardrops and Balloons. It's just incredibly liberating in the world of art, whether that be sonically or, you know, like creating a book where you're, you get to make this project exactly happen how you want so like in the example of the poetry book you're just like we sat there for like hours and hours you know like playing with the illustrations and like where the text for each poem would lie on the page and you know how big the page numbers would be in the corners of the pages the fonts and the cover and to me that is the reward you know a lot of people may be going through the process of creation hoping that it's going to gain them some reward later like they'll gain notoriety or fame but for me that's kind of the opposite where i feel like i endure notoriety or fame so i get to i'm able to continue doing the creation process there's not a lot of things in life where i get to be the boss of how things go and my art is one of those things my songs are one of those things where i can sit in the studio and eq uh, synthesizer sound just the way I want it, you know, and turn it up three decibels or fade it out at a certain point, and I'm the boss of that. Like, I'm the king of that little tiny universe. And it's just fun. It's like a little sandbox, and I love it more than I ever have. That's awesome. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time this afternoon. No, it was great, man. I, that, was, that was awesome. Hopefully you jump in the ocean or take a cold shower and box today. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you once again for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's episode with Mike Posner. Thank you so much again, Mike, for coming on the show. I loved his insight into the importance of meditation, exercise, and routines that not only helps him, but should help you do better every day. It was also interesting to hear about his relationships with other successful people in the industry like Big Sean and Scooter Braun, and also loved his advice to new artists on how to decide to make their projects and also what platform to release it on. That was a great insight. You can find all of his links in the description. You can also follow your host, Corey Levy, on Twitter at Corey. We have episodes coming out every Tuesday. Thank you once again for listening. And other than that, stay tuned and we'll see you next week on Off Record.